Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out Raised by Wolves on HBO Max, Woke on Hulu, Love Fraud on Showtime, and Transplant on NBC. So stay tuned to the end to find out which planet BJ would escape to. I'm not telling. Okay, you can't give it away because they have to stay tuned to the end to find out that you're not telling. Speaking of scamming us out of a spoiler, let's get into Love Fraud on Showtime. In a fun take on the I've been conned genre of docuseries, Love Fraud centers around a group of women hell-bent on revenge. Who do they want to get back over on? Richard Scott Smith, a man who took catfishing to a new level, conning money out of his suitors. One of the really cool aspects of this investigation into Richard Scott Smith is that all of the women that he's been conning and tricking and stealing from have band together and they did it through a blog. What do you think of using the internet to not only make friends, but make connections with people who have also been scammed <laughs> by the same man? I thought it was a cool take on the docuseries, on true crime series. Sometimes I think true crime shows go a little too far where there gets to be this level of vigilantism, especially from people who have not been wronged. They just have an interest in the case and they want to jump in and fight crime themselves. Whereas this is different. This is a group of women who have been conned out of hundreds of thousands of dollars by this one man that they all wish they had never swiped right on. It's cool to see them instead of the documentary being focused on him or even on them as victims. It's really on them as people who are out to get revenge. And I like that we are following them on their journey in this rather than looking at it at the end and then just hearing interviews. Well, this is what happened to me and this is what happened to me. Instead, we're saying, okay, we've band together. Now join us as we try and find this man and get our revenge from him. And we get to see what that process will be like. There's a part toward the end of the episode, we're not giving too much away, but they get further in their investigation, we'll say. And I found my heart racing a little bit with her, you know, filming on her phone thinking she had uncovered a clue and it cuts to black. And I was like excited to see what the next clue might be. They do a great job of building up Richard Scott Smith as this clever, but also shady con man that you hate, but you're also fascinated by. This guy has warrants. He has hundreds of thousands of dollars. He has fake identities. He's married to all of these women still. And you just (laughs) wonder, how does he get away with this? What I liked that the show did was they showed the slow manipulation. As they say, you got to spend money to make money. He was taking them out to dinner. He was whining and dining them, making them feel like they were being cared for, all the while building this trust and this relationship where he's making them feel like it's mutual or almost like he is a caretaker. And then it feels natural to return the favor little by little, giving him some money, co-signing things with him because he's already shown you this side of him where he's willing to take you out to Applebee's every single night to dinner and let you get that appetizer, entree, dessert, and a glass of wine. He's really showing them a quality life is what you're trying to say. She said he took them out to dinner every night. 
He puts in the time and effort. And it's really sad and also scary to see how much of a routine he has because all these women are telling the same story. They see him online on these dating apps. He has varying careers that all sound impressive. Two weeks in, he's telling them he loves them. Then a few weeks later, he's saying that we should just get married, buy a house together, buy new cars. There's this major settlement that he's going to get. So they're going to be millionaires. And it's just really sad that he has this down to a protocol of this is what I got to say, this is what I got to do, and then I can use your credit. It makes me think of those social engineering videos. I don't know if you've ever had to see those at your job, but at old jobs, I've had to watch like how to watch out for social engineering, especially when I used to work in media. And it was this video of how this guy like tricked his way into the building because he was able to say the right things to people to make them immediately trust him. And then he gets into the building, then he's able to figure out someone's password. And now he's hacked his way in. And (laughs) I remember they used to show us those videos to warn us about people. And in watching them, I would think they were kind of absurd. But this story is showing that it's very easy to do this to people or not very easy, but very doable as long as you follow the steps. It is real. And I think that gets into something you were referencing. They do hire a bounty hunter to help them because despite having all of these warrants, the police aren't going to take the time to hunt down this guy who's very good at avoiding the authorities. But one of her initial questions when all of these women approach her is, why did you marry him? Why did you give him the money? Or why did you put your name on the deed for these houses or put your name on the car loans? So me too, what is your opinion on why these women would believe everything and marry this man? I think he made them feel like they were partners. First thing, he purposely preyed on women who were finding it difficult to date. So these are people who were excited for affection. A lot of them were caretakers. And so it felt good to be taken care of for a change. He built this trust. And when he said that he had money coming in because of a botched medical procedure, they believed him. They had no reason not to. And he talked about that money as if it were their collective money to celebrate with and to buy a home with and to retire with. One woman said that he told her, you know, in a few months when we wake up, we'll be millionaires. I could see then if you hear something like that, thinking... What's the issue with sharing a couple credit cards now? I can't imagine splitting my finances with someone like that, but I can see how once you allow a couple credit cards, then a car, then those things sort of snowball into each other. One of the women they start with in the opening really set the stage. I believe her name was Tracy, and she's in her 40s. She has a daughter. She really doesn't think she'll be able to find the perfect man because, I mean, I'm only in my late 20s, guys, but dating is tough the older you get. And so by the time you're in your 40s with a child, it's even harder to find the perfect partner. So when you meet someone who fits all of those qualifications, literally everything you would think of in an ideal partner, I can totally see why you would go with it. And as far as I can tell and how everyone has described him, because he went by different names, there were no real red flags until it was too late. Because once they're married, this is all shared property. So it's not like he stole from you. He just ruined your credit. 
And it helped that he's handsome, he is tall, he's physically fit. He told them that he's a pilot, he's a business owner, he presented himself as religious, which automatically made him seem more trustworthy to the women. He has a motorcycle. He's cool. He has a motorcycle. So he just had a lot going on. He knew what to do. He is a professional con artist. So are you hooked on more episodes of Love Fraud on Showtime? I am. This is a four-part docuseries, so it won't take long to get through it. And I want to see if these women and the bounty hunter can catch Richard Scott Smith. How do you feel? I'm all in. I was tempted to watch more episodes, but I had to meet you to record. (laughs) Y'all were recording separately and virtually, but I had to sign on to record, I should say, so I couldn't watch more. Can you imagine if we had a socially distanced recording session? Just you and me on different (laughs) sides of a football field. With our masks on and face shields. That's the only way you could get me to leave my house. Speaking of leaving the house and things going terribly wrong, let's take things over to Woke on Hulu. So this show is actually based on the life of co-creator Keith Knight, who is also a cartoonist. And we're following Keith, the fictional version, as he's on the verge of mainstream success. His comic is becoming very popular. However, he ends up getting into a mm, unfortunate situation where he is racially profiled by some overly aggressive police officers. And this is very traumatizing because he's always kept his life very light. He's avoided controversial or tough to discuss topics. And now he is not only more aware and sensitive to a lot of the injustices in our society, but this has triggered something in his brain that now allows him to talk to inanimate objects, maybe as a coping mechanism. I'm sure he has a little PTSD. Now we're going to follow him as he figures out what does he want to do with his career and this newfound knowledge of how life can be unfair. So me too, What did you think of, I mean, the hot topic, it's very relevant with current events of police violence being used as a wake up call for Keith? I think that the show came out at almost just the right and wrong time. I don't think I needed to see someone body slammed into the ground by a police officer. It felt a little traumatic. It didn't feel good to watch mm-hmm. right now. I'm looking for escapism from what we're being inundated with. So it feels very relevant, but also a little on the nose, we'll say. With regard to that being used as a tool to open up his eyes and see that respectability politics or carrying himself a certain way as a Black person is not going to save him from systemic racism, I think that it's kind of an extreme wake-up call, but I have read often and heard stories from people often that they thought that because they were especially educated or had a good job or had these things going for them or grew up in certain neighborhoods that they would be spared from experiences like these or racism generally. And then they experience overt racism and it sort of uncovers all of the covert racism that runs through your day to day. So we see him getting body slammed by police, but then we see these quote unquote smaller interactions, right? Where he watches Antiques Roadshow and he sees that the item being appraised animates and he can hear it through the television and it's telling him that the person that took it is the woman's ancestor and he ravaged this village to get it. So it was by no means discovered or found. It was stolen. A PG way to describe that. Yes, it was was pretty... (laughs) 
I'm being very generous (laughs) cleaning up that story. You just see him have these little interactions, especially with the animated objects now that are just opening up his eyes. And I guess you'll say getting him woke. And I think it's interesting that as he is, I guess, coming to terms with reality, that is being done by talking to these inanimate objects that we don't have in reality. And that's his way of discussing these issues, I guess, with himself, whether it is discussing alcohol or discussing gentrification or discussing his own work and what it means to people of different races. So I think that was a a clever mechanism to incorporate his cartoonist career background. He feels more comfortable speaking to the inanimate objects that are now being animated than he does with his roommates, Clovis, played by T. Murph, and Gunther, played by Blake Anderson, whom you'd recognize from Workaholics, or his girlfriend Trina, played by Alvina August. That's really sad. All of these people in his life, they recognize that he's gone through something very serious and they want to be there for him and talk to him, but he's pulling himself away from them. We see he meets Ayana briefly, played by Sashir Zameda, and she seems to be the person whom I think he will go on his woke journey with. She meets him, tells him that she loves his comics, and challenges him on being a Black cartoonist and what it means for the personal to be political when you're a creator. And he pushed back, but this was prior to him being pushed back onto the ground by a cop. So we'll see how that relationship develops too. I think she will be the one that he's going to be able to vent to and have open dialogues with because everyone else in his life has always seen him a certain way. So he might not want to be as vulnerable by discussing some of these issues. But with Ayana, who already saw the potential messages he could deliver with toast and butter, she might be someone he can more easily discuss this with. And maybe she also sees talking trash cans. As a darker skinned black woman, I think we know that she'll be used as a tool of education on this show. She's there to support him. She's there to support him. (laughs) I don't think that there's going to be a romantic interest there. Oh, no, no, no. She's just there to guide him. So that's what it is. (laughs) She's just someone to talk to. Exactly. So where do you see the show going? What direction do you think they'll take with Keith's career? This is a show loosely based on the creator's life. So it's difficult to make predictions because I think success is coming. He's just going to have to go through some rough patches. As his roommate Clovis said, woke rhymes with broke. And coke, as his other roommate said. (laughs) Yes. So as he navigates what it looks like to blow up the career he has now and take this different approach, it'll be a winding path, if you will. But I think he'll find his way to success. What about you? I agree. It's going to have its ups and downs. But overall, I think he's going to learn to navigate these issues in order to achieve success and maybe even learn to slip in more woke references. So do you want to watch more woke on Hulu? Unfortunately, I'm going to have to say I would not watch again. This comedy didn't really give me the laughter that I would want from a comedy. You know, I have high standards. Yes. But I really loved hearing Nicole Byer voice a bottle in a refrigerator. How do you feel? This felt very racism 101. I don't think I am necessarily the audience for this in that I am a black woman who's been aware of my blackness for a very long time. So you're taking 401 capstone. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I'm in the capstone course of my own experience. I would say I'll give this show a couple more episodes to try it out. I think that maybe it's a fun one to do while doing your laundry. I would say shout out to the voices. So you mentioned Nicole Byer. The other voice characters in this show include Eddie Griffin and Cedric the Entertainer. And his marker that he writes with is voiced by J.B. Smoove. So a lot of really incredible comedians are the voices on this show. And that could be cool to watch develop too. So how about we go to another situation where someone is judged by the color of their skin? (laughs) And that happened on the medical drama Transplant, originally a Canadian show on CTV, but now premiering in the US on NBC. So this series centers around Bashir Hamed, played by Hamza Haq. He is a doctor from Syria, but he is now in Canada as a refugee due to the Syrian civil war. And he's trying to rebuild his life, find a new life for himself and his family, and get his career restarted. One of the problems is transferring his medical experience and degree from Syria over to Canada is not an easy one-to-one transition. So he starts out working in a restaurant. At the top of this episode, there ends up being an accident where a truck driver drives directly into the restaurant. And this truck not only injures all of the patrons of the restaurant, but also Bashir and his co-workers and just anyone and everyone. They were hit by a truck and glass. And this is when we find out that Bashir is very gifted when it comes to medical training. He can spot things without needing equipment or special tests. He has a knack for helping people and treating people. This leads him and all of the other patrons in the accident to end up in the emergency room. And from there, we see that police are suspicious of Bashir, that the medical team and the emergency room are suspicious of someone who has treated all of these patients who've arrived. And you know, there's just a lot of unanswered questions about Bashir that we start to get answers to at the end of the episode. So Mitu, how do you feel about this take on a medical drama? Did it offer anything new or exciting? I would say that this is a good entry into the medical drama genre. It has all the beats of medical dramas. There's a reason that that formula works. It has a a patient who has a mysterious ailment and she might die. Very house, last minute, thinking of some condition and then fixing it. It has the conflicts between the doctors. It has this one doctor that's extra special among the bunch, like house, like that little boy on The Good Doctor. And so what they're doing to spice this one up is one, it's set at the most prestigious hospital in Toronto. And then two, they're going to include Bashir into the residency at the hospital. And he is a Syrian refugee. He's going to bring his own flavor to this take as well. There's nothing wrong with doing a classic, but done really well. That's what people go to restaurants for, to get the perfect omelet. Is there anything special about it? No. But if it's done really well, you're going to enjoy it. And I think this medical drama is in that same vein. That's such a good way of putting it. It's the perfect omelet of medical dramas. I would also say, though, for anyone tuning in who's also 
first generation hive. This show was very clearly written by someone who is not an immigrant. It's very like, these are the good people who are coming to our country and not just accepting the humanity of refugees themselves. But I digress. <laughs> One of the things in the show that got frustrating was after the crash, of course, this police officer is suspicious of Bashir, thinking that he's the one who drove the truck into the restaurant or knew the person who drove the truck into the restaurant. And Bashir is also walking around the hospital trying to check on the patients whom he cared for when they were in the restaurant and run over by a truck. And it felt like there were so many moments getting lost in translation where he wasn't telling the doctors why he knew about the care of the patients and what they needed. It felt like he was almost playing charades with them and then with the cop as well. How did you feel about that portrayal? It was frustrating. For example, one of the doctors, Dr. LeBlanc, played by Lawrence LeBeouf, she saw Bashir standing around this one particular woman who was having heart problems. And he was just observing, trying to figure out what's going on. And she asked, who gave this woman CPR because she had bruises on her chest? And Bashir didn't say anything. And it's like, Bashir, you have some helpful information that we even find out later in the episode to treat this woman. But instead, you're just looking around, holding your own open wounds. With glass in them. With glass. And not revealing important information, or at least just explaining what happened. I think they were trying to convey that he's scared. Mm -hmm. You see little bits of that in his interactions with the people in his community, that they're scared of authority figures, they're scared of immigration officers. But I think it was overdone in that scene where he could have just said, yes, I gave her CPR. You're going to need to do this because her heart is beating funny. They took it to an extreme. And we do see that he's preoccupied. We find out that he's concerned about his little sister, who he usually picks up from class, and he missed that time. So he doesn't know where his sister is. And that is really all he seems to be thinking about. His little sister is named Amira, and she's played by Sirena Gulam Gauss, and she is adorable. Super cute, super self-sufficient, and puts up with rude people very well. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the other doctors in the hospital. So Jed Bishop, played by John Hanna, is the head of the ER. We have Theo Hunter, played by Jim Watson, who is a resident. He doesn't want to stay in the ER. He wants to be a nine to five physician to come home to his family. And then we have who I think is developing as Dr. LeBlanc's frenemy. June Curtis, played by Aisha Issa. She's also a trauma resident and just an angry black woman. I don't know how to say that better. <laughs> they pose her as the one who is challenging Dr. LeBlanc. They're all working together. So at the end, they do resolve that this was the solution to treating the patient. But they do have different theories on how to solve these issues. And they're pitted against each other, which seems counterproductive in a high-stress environment like an emergency department where time is of the essence. But, you know, I guess rivalries aren't going to be stopped because some woman's heart stops. If you want to be a trauma resident, I guess they want to impress Dr. Bishop, who has a hole in his head anyway, <laughs> because he was also in the restaurant when the truck ran over. They drilled a hole in his head. He had a drilled hole in his head, but they still wanted to impress him. And I guess that can get in the way of your ability to care for patients, this wanting to be right. So do you want to watch more episodes of NBC's Transplant? 
I do. I would watch this again casually. Like we were saying earlier, this is a solid medical drama. My one critique, which will make it a little difficult to watch and our audience should be aware of, it is quite graphic, as a lot of these medical dramas are nowadays. They're intubating everyone. They're poking holes in everyone. Everyone's bleeding. There was something with this one guy's eye. I covered my eyes, so I don't even know what happened to his eye, but I didn't want to watch. But if you look past all of that, great show. They love an intubation, as all medical dramas do. I think it's a requirement in the pilot episode. Someone's throat got to get sliced open, and a pen sometimes goes in there. (laughs) Have you ever seen that? Yep, I've seen that. They use whatever they have. You know, you got to drain fluid from every part of the body. (laughs) All that said, I too am in for more episodes of this just strong entry into the medical drama genre. How about we switch from a classic medical drama to a high concept science fiction series? I think you're talking about HBO Max's Raised by Wolves. So taking the cake as creepiest show of the week, two androids, mother played by Amanda Collin and father played by Abu Bakr Salim, set out to raise human children on Kepler-22b after a great war destroyed Earth. They successfully rescue and birth six embryos that they could save from their ship. And the narrator of this show is their sixth miracle child, Campion, named after its donor. Campion is played by Winta McGrath. And in this first episode, we're introduced Introduced to the harsh climate of their new planet and a teased religious divide between atheists and the religious Mithraics. Let's dive right in to the whole concept. We have androids raising humans. Their whole goal is for these human children to restart the human population on this planet. How do you feel about the idea of these robots that may have feelings and emotions, but are eventually going to break down raising these six children to be the future of humanity? I couldn't tell what the rules were. So sometimes it felt like the androids were almost human in their ability to feel. At one point, one of them seems to cry. And so I couldn't tell if they were androids or some kind of hybrid with humans. Kind of like how is Spock Vulcan in something? And human, but he's not a robot. I know, but Vulcans don't feel, or they do feel, but they control their emotions greatly. Right, right. And his complication, of course, is that he has both sides of him warring. And so similarly, I couldn't tell if they were, first thing, shout out to my sci-fi reference. Good job, me too. Because your partner loves Star Trek. No, but I'm so proud of myself because a year ago, I couldn't have said that. So- I couldn't tell if mother and father were straight up androids or also feeling feelings. It was unclear. And it really does seem like they have emotions and that they truly do love and care for their children. We will say along the way, they do lose some of the children and they seem to mourn the loss of a child, which conflicts with them also saying we shouldn't pray or have any belief in a higher power. That's where it starts to get blurry for me. What beliefs are considered controversial? The war that destroyed Earth and caused them to be commissioned to this planet to raise humans by atheists was a religious war. So it was the atheists versus the Mithraics. And the way that these androids talk about the atheists, it's almost 
like its own religion. Not that atheism isn't a belief, if you will, but that they talk about the atheist figures who sent them to that planet as these deities almost. You know, they were so smart and they were so strong and they knew just the kind of ship to send over, whereas the Mithraics have this dumb ship because they're religious. So it felt like both sides had these religious beliefs. It's very interesting how the androids don't really see how their point of view is a belief in and of itself because they believe in the atheists who started this mission and they just criticize the Mithraics for believing in a higher power you can't prove it exists using science. But they both are very much zealots. How did you feel about the dynamics between our narrator, Campion, and mother and father? We have to get a lot of acting of the three of them on this wasteland planet. I think Campion as the narrator is a useful tool. As we'll see, mother and father are androids. They don't have the same feelings that Campion can feel. And The cool thing about Campion is they're really setting him up as either someone who is going to fall back and forth between the two sides, and we'll see how that's going to affect his relationship with his parents. Do we call them parents? Caretakers? Mother and father. Mother and father. (laughs) (laughs) Or will he break away from mother and father and start a third pillar, the Campion group? I bet he will be some kind of uniting figure. I don't want to give spoilers away. It's a difficult show to discuss without spoilers. But there is a point at which he gets to interact with some Mithraics. And you see him starting to bridge a relationship. And so I wonder if he will be some sort of great unifier of these warring factions. He could be the savior. It's very Terminator. Also very religious. It's all the same. It's all the same bag of peas. What does that mean? I don't know. They were eating some very bland looking roots. They really were. I don't know if that's the way of life for me. They were like, have you ever seen an animal? You mean bones? No, ones with hair and eyes. I would have been Team Mithraics off the strength of what they had to offer resources-wise. Because they had a bigger spaceship? Yeah. Well, I don't know what side I'd be on. I guess I'd just die on Earth. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, that's really what would have happened. (laughs) So do you want to watch more episodes of HBO Max's Raised by Wolves? I do. I'm going to watch again, seriously. This is a really fun, high-concept science fiction drama. And I honestly don't know where they're going to take it. I don't know what mother and father are up to. I don't know what Campion is going to choose for his future or if he has a choice for his own future. So I'm going to stick with this. It's only eight episodes for the first season. So I'll see what happens. How do you feel about it? My fellow babies who don't like gore and blood, I don't think this show is for us, especially those of us who are not sci-fi or fantasy hive. This isn't quite around my interests, so I don't think I'll watch more episodes. I did end up watching it last night with my partner, and he seemed to like it, so maybe between the two of you, y'all can keep me posted on it. The storyline was cool. There's just parts of the episode where there's just gore and fighting and... I wasn't super into that. If your partner's going to watch it in your shared apartment, can't you just watch it? I would just watch something else, like Murder, She Wrote, on my iPad. In front of the TV that's playing Raised by Wolves. Well, I could just be in the bedroom and he's in the living room. Wow. (laughs) 
Anyway, <laughs> if you guys want more reviews of TV shows, head to our website, thepilotpodcast.com. And remember, you can subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions, recommendations for shows we should review next. I think next week our listeners wanted us to do P Valley, so I'm excited for that one, to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.